Okay, so like I said, we got, um, we'll start with the intro. Um, and yes, please be kind. I've been up all night learning this Chinese, guys. So um, please, please be, be patient. Well, good movies. 大家好，欢迎来到 Well Good Movies 播客。这里有值得讨论的话题和值得看的电影。我是你们的主播 David Oscar。在今天的播客里，从最初的动画音乐剧到即将上映的真人版翻拍，我将带领你们走进花木兰的故事。和往常一样，今天和我一起的还有我的朋友兼主持人 Craig McDonald。Hi Craig， 你今天好吗？嗯、um...。我们还邀请了我们最喜欢的迪士尼专家 Kelly Bishop。我们的另一位嘉宾是 Ed Mason， 他不仅是一位电影迷，也是英国电视真人秀 Mastermind 的半决赛选手。这是他第一次参加我们这个节目。Hi Kelly and Ed， 你们好吗 ？As you can probably tell, this is not David. Hi everyone, my name is Shea Davenport, a Chinese freelance producer based in the UK. Thank you guys for bringing up Mulan. I'm off to be the audience now. Best luck to today's show. You may gain quite a bit of Chinese audience now, but hey, no pressure. Hey, I got you. <laughs> Just like Mulan, I tricked you all.、Uh, This is the second <laughs> time in two days I've genuinely been pranked. I'm getting sick of this now. <laughs> Just like the Chinese are. Before the episode, he was just there, like, "Oh, guys, I've been really hard. I, I'm really tired and stressed. I'm, I'm up all night learning this. Please don't judge me. I'm gonna have my camera off because I just feel really embarrassed doing this." And for once, I was showing him a degree of sympathy and support. And then he goes and does that to me.、Uh, well, first of all, guys, thank you to Shay Davenport. She is an old friend of mine and somebody I often go to when I need somebody speaking Chinese. So,、uh, round of applause, please, for Shay. Uh, but yes, <laughs> this is well good movies.、Uh, we had our traditional Chinese opening there, and、uh, would anyone like to know what that actually read? Yes, please. So it was hello and welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast that gives you the topics worth discussing and the movies worth watching. I am your host David Osger, here to guide you on this journey through the story of Mulan, from its animated musical to its upcoming live action remake. As always, I am joined by my friend and co-host Craig McDonald. How are you today, Craig? <laughs> and then it was. We are also joined by one of our favorite Disney experts, Kelly Bishop, as well as a film fan and semi-finalist from the UK series of Mastermind. It's his first time on the show. Ed Mason. Hello, Kelly and Ed. How are you both? Oh, I'm a Disney expert. I love that. Yeah, and neither you answered the lovely question. <laughs> <laughs> It's strange because we didn't understand the lovely question. <laughs> <laughs> you do not speak any dialect of Chinese. Exactly, that's what I was looking forward to seeing your guys' baffled faces.、Uh, but I did enjoy hearing Mastermind in Chinese. Yes, we are talking about Mulan today, so we have gathered、uh, two Disney experts, Kelly and Ed. 
Kelly, last time you were on, uh, we were talking about Return to Oz as well, another Disney favourite. <laughs> uh, I'm still have, scarred. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, have you recovered from the nightmares? No, I don't think I have. Just the wheelers appear in my nightmares. <laughs> Obviously, you were talking about Disney today and Disney Plus has become a saving grace for a lot of people this year. Uh, I know you've been using it a lot throughout 2020. How, how have you found your viewing in, in terms of new Disney films, old Disney films? I've, I've been loving it. I've been re-watching some of, the, some of the old Disney that I used to watch as a kid. So me and my house have watched Treasure Planet and Atlantis, which has been phenomenal. And then also Hamilton, which cropped up. And I've watched it seven times. <laughs> and I know most of it off by heart now. Yeah, that's true. That was quite a gift for this year, considering it, again, it was meant to be like a cinema release, which you would have had to pay for, but it's like, nope, here it is, part of your subscription, which, which is very nice. And uh, yeah, I also seem to be getting like a different song stuck in my head every week from that, that musical, thanks to that <laughs> production now being on Disney+. Plus. We also have Ed Mason, who is a film fan and quiz king. Uh, he has been involved with uh, some of our exploits before, uh, such as you know, Simpsons quizzes and Pixar quizzes. And also recently, uh, Craig alluded to his role as the Taskmaster uh, in one of our previous episodes. And uh, it was Ed who uh, partook in that. And uh, yeah, Ed, Ed, how did it go down? Uh, yeah, it went very well. Uh, I, I was the alluded to champion as well. Yes. Uh, doing such things as uh, changing Wikipedia pages. <laughs> To, to rewrite his history on Only Boys Allowed. Uh, it, was, it was very enjoyable. It was very good. That kind of reminds me of years ago when I made an intro for Craig and tried to find other famous Craig McDonald's and one of them was like a Canadian ice hockey player <laughs> in which it was like, Craig McDonald, not the Canadian ice hockey player. So maybe we should change that Wikipedia as well, you know, not to be confused with Cardiff... <laughs> debater and comedian and like i said you've also uh been on television quiz shows so you've been on eggheads and the semi-finals of mastermind and interestingly in those you both both of the special subjects were sort of film related weren't they so tell us a bit about what you chose why, why did you choose choose them yeah, yeah so for the for my heat i did um basil rathbone's sherlock holmes films and that was a combination really of i've always enjoyed sherlock holmes in, in various different incarnations. And so I thought I wanted to do something like that. And then Rathbone's films are, are to be honest, quite easy to do uh, for, for a subject because you can get them all in a box set. There's 14 of them, they're about an hour long. So that's about, given how long they are, there's, there's only about 15, 16 hours worth of material. And so it's relatively easy to, to study up on it and sort of do it all, which I did fairly well because I got all the questions right. And then for my second subject for semi-final, I did uh, Robin Williams, which I did have to mention several times was not the singer from Stoke-on-Trent, and oh, I was wow. explaining to people in the bar afterwards, but is indeed the you know, comedian from America who did, amongst other things, the genie in Aladdin, which might come up later. And, and yes, it was quite, I mean, unfortunately, none of the film revision I did for Robin Williams actually came up in the questions. So I, I did like, I, I did write notes on Aladdin and Mrs. Doubtfire and Dead Poets Society and things like that. But mm. unfortunately, they just asked those questions about his life. So I, I, I don't want to say all of it went to waste because <laughs> it's, it's always good to watch Robin Williams films, but in, in, in the strict confines of the quiz, it, it, it was a bonus rather than necessary. But 
still a good bonus. I, I enjoyed that as well. Yeah, that's the good thing with with films is like you said, you can watch through those films exclusively. But then with Robin Williams, like like you said, they can easily take out parts from his life without it being specifically the films he is in, or they just throw a curveball and and give you like bicentennial man or some random robin williams film or something yeah, like yeah that. that was one of the things as well because he's got about is it 30 or just over 30 films as well so i i, I did I, I didn't manage to get around to watching them all surprisingly enough so i i just focused on some of the major ones and they did ask questions about the production values so that you know robin williams with one of his wives or his wife at the time created a production company and that production company's first film was mrs doubtfire and so that came up as a question, like the fact that the company was called Blue Wolf and that they did Mrs. Doubtfire as their first film. Yeah, well, like I said, congratulations. It was, it was great seeing you get to the semi-final, just pipped to the post right at the end, unfortunately. But but we won't we won't uh, we won't hate on that that winner of that episode too much. <laughs> just do it. The debaters have already done that in spades. <laughs> yeah, there were a lot of memes that I think Craig shared with me from from that one yeah i will be sharing on one of our facebook pages uh one of the memes that i've made specifically waiting for this episode so look <laughs> out for that everyone that, that will be fun so like we said earlier today we are talking about mulan because the upcoming remake is due to hit disney plus on the 4th of september and selected cinemas around the world uh, it'll be the 4th of September onwards. There's no official UK release date as of recording this episode. Uh, so what we'll be talking about today is what you know we intended to talk about ever since it was planned for March, which was talking about that original Disney animated film, as we've talked about in previous uh, years with The Lion King, talking about its original animated film. Uh, we'll be talking about the expectations of the live action and what was so good about that original animated film and also bringing up live action adaptations in general. So this new one, which is coming out, is directed by Nikki Caro. It's starring Liu Yifa as Mulan. You've also got Donnie Yen, Jason Scott Lee, Gong Li and Jet Li uh, alongside a huge cast of Asian talent. As I mentioned earlier, it's based on the original animated film and a Chinese poem. So I thought it'd be nice, guys, if we just had an introduction to a bit of its history, including the original animated film, so we can get a bit of a taste for that. And we also have Shay back with her experiences as a Chinese person growing up with the story. My father has no grown-up son. For elder brother, I have none. I will get a horse of hardy race and serve in my father's place. This is part of the long poem called Song of Mulan. Like me, many Chinese people have studied Mulan's story in primary school. From a contemporary point of view, she's definitely the legendary feminist in her time, a heroine who fought to save her family and country and who indicated the greatest sign of loyalty and filial piety. I really loved the uh, 1998 Disney animated film and glad to see it made Mulan this ancient Chinese legend popular globally. I hope this upcoming live-action remake with Yifei Liu could dig deeper 
and bring global audience more good surprises. I've heard a great deal about you, Mulan. You took your father's armor. Yeah! Ran away from home. Impersonated a soldier. But soon the world will know the great things you have done. The greatest gift and honor is having you for a daughter. Yes, yeah, so that was uh, an introduction there from Shay about the original poem and her experience with the film, along with the trailer for the original 1998 animated film, uh, which I always love going back to those original trailers, especially when you get, I was tempted to put in the Disney VHS one where you have the traditional sort of guy like, from Disney Studios, you know, coming soon on VHS. It you know, always takes you back to the good old days. Uh, so this uh, was directed by Tony Bancroft and Barry Cook. Uh, it starred... Ming-Na Wen, Eddie Murphy, B.D. Wong, Miguel Ferreira. And it was, you know, the film that has then brought us to now, the, the adaptation that uh, Disney is, is making. And it's a big part of their sort of renaissance era and one that's looked back on by fans, you know, with great uh, admiration and nostalgia, sort of mixes in with Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, and then Hunchback, Hercules, the sort of later films that came before then you got... Uh, films that started to go more into the two, uh, 3D animation, etc. So, like I said, we're going to be talking about the legacy of that original film along with the expectations we have on the live-action one. So, uh, I'll start with Ed because uh, you said, you know, a big reason you wanted to do this episode is because it's actually, you know, your favourite Disney film. So, I was just wondering, you know, what was the main reason that, you know, it, it's your favourite? I think, well, I say, I say favourite, it's, it's, it's one of those things where you get all the films from the Disney Renaissance era, and it's always difficult to, to pick yeah. one favourite, so it can be. One of favourites. Around this, yeah, around this time last year, I think Aladdin was one of my favourites, because I was watching that because of Robin Williams. But um, I think it's just from Mulan, it's certainly that, uh, as a character, like, she's a, very independent and sets herself out very well. Like, there's, there's a reason why Disney had to, when they were putting her as a Disney princess, had to create a whole new category for reasons that you are a princess, right? Because for every other character who's a Disney princess, they are literally a princess, right? They're born one or they marry a prince. Whereas for Mulan, she doesn't marry a prince and she isn't born a princess. They have to go, doesn't have to heroism because she saves all of China. And basically, yeah, she saves all of China. And if you watch the film and like plot out what happens and who decides to do what, it's literally Mulan at every step of the way who saves their country, saves the army, and, and saves the day. Like, there's, there's no one else really helping her in that. Uh, she's the one that makes all the key decisions. She's the first one in the montage to actually get good, uh, you know, while, while, when, when you know, they're all being made men out of. So, yeah, I think she's just one of the best, most active characters uh, in, in Disney, really. Yeah, and it was a good reminder to myself 
like you said about changing the rules because the person I was watching it with when I was revisiting it was like, why is she a Disney princess? And I was like, um, is it cause she's the emperor's, uh, assistant. And then like, in the film, he's just like, she's just denies the job. And I'm like, Oh, right. It wasn't that then. <laughs> so like I said, thank you for reminding me that. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, like I said, it, it's definitely become very infamous for changing the norm of the Disney stereotype. I, I remember myself in media studies, we did an essay comparing this to uh, Snow White because, you know, the, the female roles in those films are so different. Uh, so, you know, Kelly, you know, as a female viewer, how, how, how have you always felt, you know, growing up with this film and, and looking back on it today? Yeah, I think Mulan really pushed the boundary Mm. A little bit by giving us that active female voice. If you look from, like, even towards the newer films that we've got now, um, think Brave from Pixar, you've got even Frozen. Like, I I don't always say it's my favourite Disney film, but the female characters in that are quite active and they make choices for themselves. Mulan was the first, the first one to do that. And the way that it shows making impulsive decisions and having to deal with the consequences as well. Mulan makes this very impulsive decision that she needs to do something and she needs to do it quickly. And then she'll deal with the consequences later. It's very much the idea of ask for forgiveness, not permission. And that's something that like I've watching it recently, I've taken that message away from it a little bit more than when I was younger. And it was just like, oh, that's really cool. I can do what boys do. Yeah. And there's also that great element of people attach themselves to it because of, say, reflection. You know, a lot of people take that song and that message and, you know, apply it to their own life. And I think when I was rewatching it, I saw realized how much you think at first it's this sort of typical cliche of, oh, I'm different and I'm this type of person. I'm, you know, I'm not, you know, like the dad wants them to be, say, goody and, and that kind of stuff. And they're like, no, I'm, you know, you don't understand me. But it is purely that like Mulan doesn't actually know who she is. She isn't quite sure of herself. And it's refreshing to see that there's a character that isn't like, this is who I am. And I'm going to sort of like, you know, be really in your face about it. She is quite like, I don't know who I am. And, you know, I don't know who I am when I look in the mirror. And I think that's what's really great is that that, you know, journey literally changes her. And by the end of it, uh, she knows who she is. And again, it's not this big empowerment for, you know, I'm this big tomboy sort of character or that I'm this sort of big uh, female beauty figure. It's just she is Mulan. She is who she is. Yeah, I think as well, she comes across as incredibly imperfect, especially yeah. from the beginning of the film where you've got her in the matchmaker and she's trying to write everything on the inside of her arm. Yeah. That in itself is like, okay, she's not Cinderella and Snow White, who are these archetypal, like, Disney females who are literal perfection mm. in both, like, body type and the way that they act, the way that they sing mm. as well. It's all very high and floaty. Mm. But Leah Salonga coming in to sing Reflection and the little bits in um, Girl Worth Fighting For, mm. it's, got a, it's got a warmth to it. And I think showing a, a Disney princess who is imperfect and has flaws is, was quite a unique step for Disney. I think as well the fact that they just outright embrace that idea of honour stands out because 
because that's one that's one of the things that also sets her apart against like the sort of rebellious princesses is that they openly reject this idea of of what honor is but the fact that she's basically trying to just define that uh define that honor is something which yeah i just like throughout the entire film because it also just meant that i think that everything that she does even if it's even if it's wrong just still had like a massive amount of integrity that you could just buy you can just buy into it and just some of the lines that she ends up having throughout the film in term, in terms of that idea of honor like they're just incredibly powerful and they just resonate with me and a good chance for everyone to sort of pitch in what are their general thoughts you know about the film and, and their reactions you know anything that you think is is a great uh, takeaway from it because like i said you know a lot of people have a lot of memories about this film i know even you know revisiting it just thinking back at the promotional material about it it was quite great to remember how impactful the teasers for the film were i remember that they had that scene which you know i think was a big part of the pitching process for this film which is her sat on that you know statue and it's in the pouring rain and when i remember sort of seeing that in the cinema maybe seeing another film or another disney film and you were like wow what's this and you were like oh you know disney's going dark and while that might not be the case for the entire film it, it showed that they were going in a sort of like new and, and different direction and and i think it's really great that they embraced so much of the chinese culture for this film so they wanted to have that you know the house for example is you know very designed specifically with sort of chinese homes in mind and you have then just the sort of epic scene in which she's getting ready to leave and they sort of use that along the promotional material and that give you the big impression of like oh wow she's you know she's she is a real warrior and and they have that great score that plays throughout there which is i think just called in the soundtrack haircut and and that's like one of my favorite pieces of music uh, in film just because it's it's so impactful you know what what are some of your guys or reactions to to the film in general i think for me the the thing that strikes me the most is how funny it is for a film about war. Yeah. It's like, it's got this very dark undertone to it because obviously there is a, a moderate Disney threat. Um, but at the same time, you've got these incredibly funny characters all the way through. Eddie Murphy really shines as Mushu. And I, I quote, dishonor on you, dishonor on your cow far too often. But it's even even in those moments where you think everything's coming to an end, there's no way out of this situation. There's always something then to twist it around, put a smile on your face. It's just a very well thought out film yeah. with incredibly likable characters, which is then they went on why they went on to make a sequel with mm. those characters and giving all of them a lovely, a lovely ending may not be the best, may not be as good as Mulan one. Well, let's not talk about the sequel shall we <laughs> don't talk about the sequel it's the same with a lot of the the traditional disney films and their sequels yeah the director dvd sort of approach oh yeah the director vhs yeah. where i'd argue only one of them is worth of <laughs> merit yeah I, it always feels like a welcome home mulan mm. it's like you're doing a good job whatever you're doing in life like, if you go through it with integrity and confidence, the way that Mulan moves into her role in the army, you're going to be fine at the end of it. Yeah. 
and I, I think the the com the comic element is is great to bring up because like you I often think of say Eddie Murphy in the scene with the they're all bathing and afterwards he's like squirting the toothpaste in his mouth and he's like that was vile <laughs> you know and, and that's like if you just taste something disgusting you can just think of that moment just like no matter how much toothpaste you have it, it can't get the taste out kind of thing and one of my favorites uh, is always again the fact that this film can be so dark sometimes so you have this uh, falcon throughout it which is like gliding around and is evil making this this evil squawk throughout it and it's all sinister going on the villain's uh, shoulder and then right at the end he gets toasted into a chicken <laughs> and the rest of the film Mushu is riding him as the character is going like I'm like what happened to the sinister character literally just like that it's just gone but it, it's just fun so, yeah, I, I agree with you in that I, I kind of always think of it like films like The Road to El Dorado and maybe some of like the Marvel films. They're just nice sort of like Sunday kind of movies, a film you can put on it, you know, and not have to be like, oh, I'm not going to get stressed out or worried or, you know, upset or anything. It's just a nice film to put on and you know you're going to have a nice time watching it. It's just because it's different and it's sort of captures that period quite well as well so you know you're going to be sort of transported to a different type of film as well which is kind of the case with Hercules and Aladdin etc. We call them boxing day films in my family. Ah. They're the films that you put on on boxing day when everyone's tired and you just need something chill to put on. It's just a nice family film that everyone's going to enjoy. It's a good term yeah. Uh, Ed what was, what was your thoughts? Yeah just, just a sort of chime in with, with that. It's interesting to note how that tonally it's almost two very different films, you know, isn't it? So that that point where I think you can notice it during well, not during, but at the very end of a girl worth fighting for. Like literally the last word gets cut off when they go, Oh, there's this village that has just been burned down. Mm-hmm. And at that point there's no more music in the film. And it's and it's at that point where it's almost like, okay, you've got comedy, you've had that moment, but now, snap, this is the war now. And war isn't funny. You've got to deal with the war, and, and maybe in the final, and maybe at the very end, you can roast the, the evil falcon into a chicken. But apart <laughs> from that, like it's going to be very serious. And then after we've done all that, yes, we can have our fun again. Whilst Mushu is being elevated to the rank of ancestor, mm. and uh, and then we can come back to the comedy. Um, but it's like you know, it, it's, it's always a very good lesson of there are times, and you know, there's a moment for everything. Right? There's a moment for comedy, but then when it gets serious, it has to get serious. And then we can go back to comedy again, and that's fine. Um, and, they, and they manage that whilst keeping a U rating. So it, it's, it's not, it's, you know, it, it, it is serious, but then also not really that serious, maybe to the levels of, like, the, the updated Mulan being, uh, the, the Mulan coming out uh, this year, which is, I think, it was going to be 12A in, in the UK. Mm. It's certainly going to be PG-13 uh, in America. So, you know, they're upgrading that, but then they didn't even really need to, the original Mulan. They had that sort of, you know, mild, te- mild threat while still keeping it to you, which I think is very good. Yeah. I do love the way that they imply a lot of the horrific things that, like, the Hun army do throughout the film. Because, uh, obviously, I think the scene that Ed was talking about is, is great, but what I, what I think adds to, like, the sinisterness of, of it as well is the fact that the entirety of like the original Chinese army is just lying there eviscerated. Mm. But also you have moments where say they send a messenger and they have the art, they have the discussion with the archer. How many messengers does it take to send a, uh, send a message? Just one. And just, just scenes like, just scenes like that are just 
excellent. Yeah, so I was just about to say, you've also got the foreshadowing of that village burnt down scene where they've got the little, is it a doll? Or is it like yeah. a little tiny bear? Whatever yeah. it is. And it's like, you know, ah, oh, a little girl, you know, we should probably give it, we should probably give, give that little girl her doll back. It's like, oh. Yeah. Okay. They really don't pull their punches in terms of what they imply. Um, and just the fact is, because uh, one of the things as well that I love about this film, this is going to sound like a weird thing to love, but I, I love its kill count. Uh, I was actually watching a series a couple of, uh, about a month ago, which was which Disney film has the highest death toll. Um, and Mulan, I think, was close to fifth or sixth. And I was actually surprised by that because I thought it was higher. Just the entire avalanche sequence. <laughs> Just the fact that they killed off all but six members of the Hun army. It's funny that Ed mentioned as well that that doll scene because I, when I was watching it, I thought to myself, I'd like to actually see an alternate version of this film where they genuinely just want to return this girl's doll like nicely. Like they're just there, the entire Chinese army. They just walk in like, sorry, sorry. Just like, there you go. And they're just like there with their swords ready. Like, that's all we wanted. Thank you. Bye. It's like <laughs> the end. <laughs> What, so the actual, so the actual cut is they end up accidentally killing the entire Chinese army and burning down a village. No, well, you could have that. They're just like an army of Mr. Bean characters yeah. who just do something completely stupid. No, I just suggested that they just awkwardly walk in through the army, give the doll, and awkwardly walk back out and everyone's still alive. But but yeah, if you want to go down the Inspector Clouseau route of they just accidentally burn down the village, then sure. But yeah, and I think one, one more element... Uh, and I know so Craig would find this interesting because we often talk about the roles of horses in Disney films where they're often portrayed as certain other animals. But Mulan also goes against the grain with this one because something I found interesting with this is that I never noticed before is that the horses in this film take on the personalities of the characters they belong to. So um, I can't remember his name, but the, the emperor's advisor, for example, is this sort of ratty, you know, stuck up sort of guy and his horse if you look at him is like got the same expression is this kind of disgruntled like look down on you sort of look he's got like the kind of whiskers like the guy has got um and then lee shang's horse is very noble and sort of neat and tidy and sort of uh strong looking and and then like you said you have i think it's khan is it which is mulan's horse which kind of reflects her her in a way as well yeah and one thing I definitely did notice when I was re-watching this film, and I would like to apologise in advance to my dedicated horse friend, Alex, because she may disagree with this of you, but when I was watching the, the scene on the mountain, I was looking at the Huns' horses. Those horses are ugly. Like, their heads are just bricky. Uh, and I was like, that's a good way of making them look like the Huns. They're basically hard-headed, uh, focused, and evil-looking creatures that I'm glad died. These are the only animals I am glad died. These think, ugly Hun-looking horses. I think everyone needs a dedicated horse friend in their life from, based on that conversation. Well, yeah, I mean, I own horses. I don't meet that many people around my age that own horses. So of course, when I do, I'm going to have a dedicated horse friend. <laughs> Six of our northern cities have fallen in a coordinated attack. Their leader fights alongside a witch. Crush these murderers, Your Majesty. Every 
family must contribute one man to fight. You're a war hero. You've already made many great sacrifices. My father cannot fight. So I will take his place. The Northern Invaders will kill her. If I expose her, our own people will kill her. When we take the Imperial City, I will take revenge for my father. What is your name, soldier? Hua Jun, Commander. Son of Hua Zhou. You will now take the oath of the warrior. Loyal. Brave. True. Die pretending to be something you're not. Yet here I stand, proof that there is a place for people like us. A girl threatens all plans. A warrior. So yes, that is the trailer to the live-action version, uh, which is coming out this September. So, like we said, uh, in talking about the animated version, obviously there's a lot of elements to the original uh, which have now been left out of this live-action remake, which is up for debate whether that's a good or bad thing. Uh, so, you know, Ed, what, what's your feelings on that? I know you, you know you were going to mention about like you know Mushu and and you know possibly the music. What what, what do you think of sort of leaving those elements out of the story? Um, I, I think it's probably fitting, given that it's, they're meant to be trying to update it and make it less comedic. Like, they're trying to make it a 12A film, right, rather than a film that could get a U or even a PG. So that sort of thing, like not, it, it not being a musical, it, it's probably fine. Like, it alludes to what I was saying earlier about there being, like, two tones within the original Mulan, uh, the original animated film, of you've got the comedic part, and, and, and then you've got the serious part. And if they're trying to do the serious part throughout the entire film and make that the thing, then it probably just be about, I, I think it should be like a mood whip, there'd be a mood whiplash. Mm. And so it, it wouldn't be right to do that. So I think if they want to focus on the one, it's probably good that they do that. As for Mulan, as for Mushu rather, uh, given Disney's track record of doing CGI animals, uh, I think it's probably best they just leave that well alone. So I'm perfectly happy with there being no music. I completely agree. I am fed up of the remakes basically having more and more things that draw direct comparisons to. Like, undoubtedly, if they had a Mushu, the question of would they get Eddie Murphy back? Uh, I'm, I genuinely don't think they would get him back. So they would probably get somebody to basically do his best, do their best, like, uh, persona impression, not necessarily like voice impression. At which point, everyone's just going, "Well, it's just not Eddie Murphy." So, what's the what's the point? At, at which point, if you're unhappy with just the lack of the original, then don't don't try actually just replicating it, and just try and give people something that they actually join instead, right? Because that's basic. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll rant about the Lion King a little bit <laughs> later, 
because that's all that film is to me. And oh yeah, I haven't actually ranted about that film on this podcast because I did it on a radio show instead. Oh goody! I'm excited to rant along with you. Oh good. <laughs> but yeah, I, I definitely agree that that's an element of when you have a character like Mushu. If you can't get Eddie Murphy, like you said, what you know, what is the point? And if you do get Eddie Murphy, what what's the point again? Because he's in that original film, and it's that idea of say with Beauty and the Beast, for example, which again, we'll get onto later, but people are like, um, I try and think of a recent example, I think where there is like another upcoming live action Disney remake and people are like, oh, this person would have to be back to play that character. Hercules and Danny DeVito. That's, that's it, yeah. So to me, I'm a bit like, I kind of agree with you, but at the same time, why not guy, you know, why does the guy who originally played Lumiere not have to be back? Why does the guy who played Cogsworth not have to be back? It, you know, all of that, you know, is what is in my mind. So it's, again, the same thing because I feel that they embody the characters just because they're not as big a name actors. I don't see why we should sort of just toss them aside like that. And I think, yeah, it's it's also what Ed said is that this film is clearly trying to be its, its own thing. It's kind of be trying to be like a martial arts epic, which I think is often a good case for films like Kelly mentioned earlier, Treasure Planet and Lantis being made because they could be quite well adapted into live action because they have very action orientated elements. I think what else is important to notice about uh, to note about Mushu uh, being a completely uh, 2D animated character is that the movement they can do on him is basically a lot a lot better. Right, he's incredibly flexible as a character because obviously he is basically a skinny little dragon. Mm. I don't think any amount of CGI would be able to get him to a point where he would be moving in a way that wouldn't just freak everyone out. It would just basically be the line from the original, like, my ancestors have sent a little lizard to help me. It would actually just be a little lizard. It would be like a little, like, <laughs> just be like a little gecko-looking sort of thing. It would either uh, be too much or not enough. Yeah. I think is what it would be. It would either be he's a literal lizard mm. and he won't move around the same way that we used to the 2D Mushu moving. Or it would be that case of we go 3G, we make this really bendy skeletal kind of figure for it, wrap it up in whatever textures they do, and it would just move in this really bizarre way that would draw you away from everything else that they're trying to do. Yeah, and going back to the colour elements of the original, I think the one of the people who were talking about Mushu said that they wanted the primary colours of red, yellow, blue, because it's often colours associated with children and toys. And even though they experimented with different colours, they said that's what worked best for that character. So as soon as you do a live action version, then you have to be like, oh, let's tone it down to a realistic crimson and, you know, a gold and you know, a, a faint blue. So then you're going to lose that, that look to the character anyway. The, the alternate, if you were going to do it, which is, again, my usual thought process of, well, if you're going to do it, go completely different, is maybe he should just be a, a mix of what the stone dragon should have been and just been this humongous Game of Thrones-sized dragon. And then uh, Mulan's just got the task, the entire film, of just awkwardly hiding him behind mountains and, and like, intense. They just, you know, what's that ping? It's just like, oh, it's uh, it's nothing. It's just a bunch of snow under a tent. It's just this massive dragon underneath. <laughs> Good work. 
I think uh, one of the biggest talking points for people, though, is the music. So, you know, what are people's thoughts on the songs and it being a musical, etc.? I love every song in the original film. Like, I think they all hold up. I find myself humming them far too often in my own head. <laughs> um, but I do think, like, as we've been talking, like, it would really take you out of that orig- that new story that they're trying to carve out because it is going to be more dramatic. It's going to be more war-centric. It's going to be much darker. So to have them singing about, like, a girl worth fighting for, it's a great song. Yeah. But it's perhaps not fitting for this film. What I would possibly like to see, I don't know if this is happening, but maybe some of those musical like soundtracks weaved throughout the score and whether in those moments where those songs would have been we will hear some of those familiar bits of music that would be like my my hope that would be my my end goal of what I would love to see but if they're taking it down this darker route if they're taking it more traditional I think it's going to be a lot of that more traditional Chinese style of music that we're going to be hearing throughout Mm. I think that would be the best decision, like you said, though, because a lot of these films are based on nostalgia. And I think while a lot of these other films have been very heavy handed of being like, oh, well, let's, let's literally do that song again. I think what better way than how, say, The Force Awakens, you know, centered its ad- advertising campaign of like, oh, you're going to hear the Leia theme and the Yoda theme in new ways. And everyone gets really pumped up about that trailer because it's taken them back. And Mulan could do the same thing. If you're going to faintly hear, make a man out of you in the background, it's going to be like, oh, I know what that is. You know, it's it's that, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio meme. It'll get people excited, but they won't be like comparing it to the original. And I think that that's a good balance to, to tread. Didn't one of the trailers have elements of reflections in its background? Yeah. Yeah. And if, I... they do something, if they do something like that, then I think it's it's got a chance. So long as they don't do the... So long as they don't do the idiotic route that like Maleficent did and just have have like somebody cover one of the songs and just play it during the credits. Which song are we gonna get resung at the end by a pop star? It's gonna be Reflections. It'll be Reflection, it'll be like a Demi Lovato cover of Reflection. I've literally written down on a post-it while we were listening to the trailer, why is there a witch? <laughs> Where did the witch come from? I think it's interesting because to me it kind of gives me like Forbidden Kingdom vibes which is that like old Jackie Chan film from like the late 2000s where they have like these crazy you know martial arts inspired characters where they sort of use their hair to fight characters and stuff so I was a bit on board with it and being like okay this is if this is what you're going with it's a bit heavy-handed in that they're like oh Mulan needs like a female adversary so see how that pans out but I, I don't know, I was kind of on board with it in that it's different. And if they go in as well with this sort of House of Flying Daggers, you know, running up the walls and that kind of element, I, I could see it working in, in that, that context. And Kelly, you also said about the cha- another big change is with Li Shang. Uh, what, what was your thoughts, thoughts on this? So when I initially heard that they were remaking Mulan, one of the big conversations was who's going to play Li Shang? Because for a lot of a lot of girls my age, um, a lot of women my age now, um, Li Shang was one of those characters where we were like, he's strong, he can defend a country for us. Brilliant. Um, and then to hear that they hadn't actually cast someone to play Li Shang and he just wasn't in the film, 
everyone was in a bit of an uproar. He's so um, strong, you've got to have two people play him. Yeah, you've got to play, you've got to have two people now. So I did a little bit of research as to why, and they dropped it in response to the Me Too movement because they realised that having a commanding officer in a sexual love interest part is a little bit uncomfy and not very not very 2020. Um, so they decided to have the commander role, which is more of the mentor, and then an ally love interest instead of the two combined in Li Shang. Which I think is it's a really interesting way of looking at because now we've got these two relationships that are going to be hopefully a little bit more fleshed out. Mm. Because realistically, if you look at the relationship between Mulan and Li Shang, it's him telling her that she's not good enough. Oh, she's good enough. Oh, she's a woman. Let's leave her to die. She came back and saved my life. I'm going to marry her. That's how their relationship plots out. Yeah. So now we're going to have sort of more of this mentor role, this commanding officer who's going to lead us through that training period and then an ally and a love interest in a separate character who they might try and play up a little bit more. We don't really know the sort of ins and outs. We just know that they are labelled as a love interest for Mulan. I think for them to effectively do that, though, they need to have they need to know the truth about Mulan or know who she is during her entire undercover scenario in order to genuinely buy that this person likes Mulan and not any other element of her. Because like I didn't realize how big a sort of LGBT icon Li Shang had become. Yeah. Yes, he yes he is. He's massive because he's portrayed as this like representation of being like bisexual mm. because he loves well, we think we are shown that mm. he cares about ping yeah and then at the end it's like oh mulan as well like even though they are the same person li shang seems to like both which was where the initial sort of a lot of the initial backlash came from so yeah. it might be that they, they play that same thing up as like pre-knowing Mulan. There's a kindling there. And then after the reveal, if we get one, because we don't know how that's going to play out. It's whether like we get that dramatic reveal of Mulan's hurt and then someone discovers or whether that story changes a little bit. There's a lot of what ifs. What I also appreciate, like, listening to the trailer a bit more is that it's not like other remakes in which it's like, oh, here's that line and here's that line read the exact same way as we'll go into later. It is that, you know, the the father's past heroics as a soldier and him having to sort of tie that brace around his leg. I like how they're adding to that and giving new lines, etc. So hopefully, like I said, that'll give them leeway either to just sort of take out the elements or just adapt them in different ways rather than just be like, oh, it's going to have a line for line, the same thing, which then, you know, falls into the pit of just being, being the same thing. I do find it funny though, that they're trying to give like, they're trying to give like the Han army a sort of like background in terms of why they're doing this. So he's like, I'll get revenge for my father. It's just like, really? That's what the entire war is over. Sure, if it's that simple of politics, but I think there's more to it than that. 
good opportunity to go into the live action remakes in general because we are talking a lot about their general problems and the potential pitfalls they can go into um and it, obviously as kelly and craig will especially know it's a, it's a big topic i'm very familiar with myself uh, having explored it in all different ways especially last year as that was such a big year for disney remakes so you know ed what what what's your sort of experience with uh live action remakes what were some of your favorites and not not so favorite remakes I think most of remakes I've seen or or, or, or I've seen part of it, it's almost like, well, as, as we've been talking about, like just remaking the film and either doing it shot by shot or line by line. And, and it just seems to be like a nostalgia hit. So most of them are basically just what either they change things and it, it's bad. Like if you want, I can go for a good, I would probably do an entire episode if you wanted about, Aladdin, because I've got notes here because I was watching it last night about how the 2019 film just the things that it changes don't really make much sense. I don't think, yeah. and, and the things that the things they don't change, like so, the, the the song, the songs, and the you know you you, you never have a friend like me and Prince Ali and and those sorts of moments, I think are perfectly fine. Um, they, it isn't they don't change much in the way of that, but then again, why did they need to change it? Why did they need to do this film at all? And the things yeah. that they change, I think most of the time, for most of them, aren't really necessary. I, th- I think probably the only reason that you'd have to have the film is so that you can introduce a new audience to it. And that maybe, like, they're, they're perfectly good films by themselves, I think. So that if the first film you saw of Aladdin was the 2019 version, you, you, I, d- I don't think you'd have, I, I mean, obviously I, I didn't watch it first, I watched the 92 one first, but... Yeah, it, it looks like it's a perfectly acceptable film in and of itself. So, like my 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 approach, my into that is that, that the first hundred and one Dalmatians film I saw was with Glenn Close as Cruella Deville, and okay. so for years and years that was in my own head the definitive version. And I still think, you know, that would be that that was very good. And I, I don't want to live in a timeline where we don't have Glenn Close as Cruella Deville. So I'm perfectly happy that remake happened. Whether it's better than the original version, I don't know. They're different in different ways, right? But I think that's probably the only way that you can approach remakes as necessary or as, or as good is that if they're the first one you see or the only one you see as actual remakes. I think all the ones we've had so far, that there's, no, there's either no real point to them or they change things unnecessarily that don't really work. That's what's interesting about the 101 Dalmatians thing is there's quite often unheard of to to see the remake first but obviously it was something like lion king or aladdin beauty and the beast that's very hard to do if only kelly there was somebody out there who hadn't seen something like lion king the original uh we're referring to a, <laughs> a certain mutual friend who i've like banned from watching the animated film he's not allowed to see either version we just want to see how long it can be <laughs> until he gets around to seeing the lion king yeah uh but yeah i was interested as to how somebody react to that John Favreau version without having seen the original, especially because it is so based on on the original one. But yeah, and and you mentioned Ed with Aladdin. For me, I think a lot of it is based on how it looks initially. So after Beauty and the Beast, I was very like, okay, I'm done with this kind of just remake the entire thing, you know, word for word. And also, I didn't like that element of this add things. But you know, if you want to see a good 
explanation and Craig will black me up on this on why you don't need new elements you know just look at the the Lindsay Ellis video on Beauty and the Beast about why you don't need to add certain elements to the story and with Aladdin so say Mulan for example I watched that and go I'm interested in that I'm interested in this new take because I want to see like I said there's new characters there's the martial arts maybe aspect there's the war aspect but I watched the trailer to Aladdin and I was like nope this just isn't for me it's kind of like recently like Unhinged for example everyone's like oh you know first film to come out in the cinema I'm like uh film about a guy getting road rage about a woman not <laughs> not something I particularly want to go watch you know I'll be open to most things but like I said Will Smith is the genie I was just like yeah it might be fine he probably does a great job but I just don't particularly want to put myself through that whereas you know i've been happy then since to watch you know dumbo mulan even maleficent <laughs> uh, mistress of evil uh which i'm sure we'll get on to later but but yeah it definitely is those those differences that 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 shine out um i know one you struggled to get through uh which is one that'll be brought up by other people as well was jungle book is that right yeah so i mean the jungle book the original was basically the disney film that i watched a lot when i was a kid uh, like it was the one that my parents had on VHS and if, if it was like midnight and I was struggling to get to sleep they just put me in the living room and go here you go Ed boof yeah. watch the jungle book yeah. okay it's got to the end watch it again <laughs> um, and, and so I, I, I was slightly nervous coming to the, the, the remake and then I ended up just stopped I stopped watching it five minutes in when I saw uh, Bagheera for the first time because it just looked rubbish um, and then, you know, we get a, you know, it's a big close-up of his face and it just looked like they, you know, they got their local uh, art student to just paint on a piece of acetone or something. Like, I, I didn't think it was particularly good. I thought, well, do I want to watch this film and possibly rewrite my entire childhood if I, I've already got negative feelings about it five minutes in? And yeah. I, I thought, no. So I, I paused and went out and went to see something else. But yeah, there, there might be some disagreements here because I know so Craig and Kelly have uh, put in much higher rankings than yourself. <laughs> I'm going to say Kelly looks really distressed at this point. <laughs> it's just because whenever I think about the remakes and I try and put them in a list of how much I enjoyed them, Jungle Book came out on top for me. Mm, yeah. I think it was because like it was an all-star cast that was done right for me. Whereas The Lion King definitely wasn't. I loved, like, there was something about the styling of it that while one person might think it looks like an art student did it, a part of me was looking at it like this is a big CG project that we haven't seen the likes of since, like, Avatar. And, like, I'm no way comparing it to Avatar. No way. Mm. But I think for me... I think it's probably because there's one piece of music right at the very end of that film that just took me right back to nostalgia. It's, it sort of packaged the whole film up in this very neat little box for me. Um, it's called Mowgli Wins the Race. And it uses this, like, the music from The Bare Necessities in this beautiful orchestral score. Mm. And it really cemented the whole film for me of being a case of like, I really enjoyed this. Like the music was great. The, I can't remember what his name is, but the little boy who plays Mowgli. Just 
like to have to act like that with nothing around you yeah but green screen was quite an interesting thing for me to watch because it seemed like it seemed like it hadn't been filmed on a soundstage to me yeah and it's interesting that for me watching it i think because i hadn't watched the animated film in years and years when that original music came up uh from you know the original animated film because it transitions from the castle i was like oh wow you know because usually like I said they go for the more oh and it's just you know pay reference to circle of life you know friend like me so to have that piece of dark so like old school disney score i was like oh wow this you know is something quite different and i think the end of it as well really wrapped up for me to literally have the book and have it open up with these characters. I was like, oh, that's a really nice touch. You know, it's like, you know, because obviously the original animated film makes the aspect of, you know, a literal book opening and closing. But I liked the idea of the sort of more interactive version at the end. And listening to Scarlett Johansson's version of Trust in Me, I was like, I almost want this in the film, but then I almost love it because it's not in the film i'm like i'm constantly in a battle in my head because they have uh want to be like you and be necessities in there but they don't have that in there and i'm like i like the version of it because it's different and they play it up as this sort of like the jazz room sort of version of it uh but yeah it's almost then better that they don't just like do it beat for beat of like let's just add these songs in I mean, when they add the song, I mean, I, I, I'm just going to preface this. I did, I did enjoy Jungle Book in the basis of of the remake so far, apart from 101 Dalmatians, which I view a bit differently. Uh, Jungle Book was just simply the one I hated the least. I do have like, there are significant problems with it. I think Idris Elba as Shia Khan, I think, is a, a complete wrong decision uh, because I think instead of being sort of a a sly, sophisticated character. He just comes off as like a London thug. I mean, literally, there's a scene where he just grabs a wolf by the throat and just yeets him off a cliff. <laughs> that is true. Like, that character does read very differently. Yeah. Mm. But what I also find interesting is that Ed won't know any of my criticism of this film because he just didn't see long enough. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, like, I just find it... Um, there are just aspects of it. Like, I find it weird that uh, what they do with King Louis, they just turn him into like, you know, Shingeki no Kyojin. Like, <laughs> but also, Chris, but Christopher Walken as King Louis is a. I still don't know how to feel about it, but it is a somewhat inspired choice. That that song is so different with Christopher Walken singing yeah, it. Yeah, I think Ed will hate it. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> it just goes wild. Um, I think the songs are particularly strong. There's only two of them they actually There's only two the of film. them, and neither of them are, like, the best. Yeah. Because um, as much as I love Bill Murray, Bear Necessities just wasn't... Mm. It wasn't what yeah. it is in the original, but it's, like, that idea of if you, want the, if you want the original songs, you've got the original film. Yeah. yeah. I think the biggest one that keeps popping up is Lion King, like I said, and, and Craig, and, well, Craig actually has this sort of other so hated one uh, but i know that like he said he hasn't ranted about this before and yeah, kelly has said hated ones yeah so mentioned. so <laughs> proceed kelly and uh, craig ed have you seen the the light the newer lion king uh no i i read craig's review and that was enough for me do not put yourself through it yeah i did it a week ago 
and I'm still upset about it. Kelly, quick question. Yeah. How how long into the film did you know that you hated it? About like four minutes. Oh, but... cool. It was later than me then. <laughs> oh yeah, like really early on. Ten uh, seconds. Oh, oh, right away. Literally, the moment that you screw up the opening shot for the Circle of Life, because they basically have this shot cluttered with loads and loads of trees and stones, etc. And they just have the sun rise up really slowly on the left-hand side of the screen. Apparently, it's the only shot that they actually, like, did out in location. Oh. Find a better shot! <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Find a like, I'm sorry, spot. you don't get paid the moment you set up the camera in that specific spot. Presumably no. you get paid to just do the entire day. So you could just, you know, move to the right a bit. So you could just get a, a clearer shot of the savannah. Not just be like, well, we got these trees. Put the sun there. Yeah, find a better sun. <laughs> Guys, is there a better sun we can use? <laughs> so yeah, the moment they screwed that up as opposed to the majestic rising largely on the screen i thought oh god this is it and then they just and then basically they just proceeded to hash out incredibly important moments like they hash out one of simba's most defining character moments in terms of you know remembering who you are as opposed to just no so they just focus on remember who you are as opposed to the lessons of how you interpret the past like because one of the scenes that i watched immediately after watching this film was uh the Rafiki Simba scene with like the hitting of the stick. Nothing like that is in this film. So one of its most important messages of how you view the past and how you change yourself from that is just gone. Instead, they put in a really, a really intricate scene of like a piece of hair flying throughout Africa that eventually ends up in some dung that ends up with Rafiki. Like, why? I did not need to see a piece of lion hair being eaten by a giraffe and then shat out onto the deserts of Africa. Just so that a monkey can be like, woohoo, he's alive! Just, and also just, the animals are creepy as hell. Like, Zazu needs to burn in fire. Um, but, like, John Oliver's performance of him also just wasn't great, but he also just didn't have the chance. Because if, cause this is where it comes, like, CGI versus 2D animation. Where you can have a beak be flexible and actually move, like, lips. Thing, you know, so, like, that looks fine. What I'm doing now, where, like, my mouth, the mouth of my puppet is, like, moving and flexible when it's just like that it looks really really stupid and creepy and then there are other things like oh beyonce's spirit i know people like beyonce but this song why is it here why is it taking out one of the most important pieces of music for simba's running i think i actually skipped through that song because i couldn't be asked to listen to it oh if only i had the option oh yeah the <laughs> cinemas yeah that's when you need to have your low break when that song comes on that's yeah. true for anyone who's planning to watch it. That's Lou break, Lou break needs to be. Lou break, Russian roulette round, you know. Oh, um. yeah. From what Craig was on about with sort of like the animals talking, again, I mentioned Lindsay Ellis earlier, there's Nerdstalgic, I think I said. Uh, he has a video which is uh, called This Scene is Everything Wrong with Disney's Live Action uh, Remakes and he, he focuses on The Lion King and that, again, perfectly epitomizes why these films don't work and his example is the scene where Simba and Nala they do the sort of like ha I laugh in the face of danger and they're, they're about to go on the sort of like end quest and he's like 
this just comes off as just line reading. It, it like he says, listen to the original and like close your eyes and listen to this one. And it is because they haven't got anything original to work with. All they can do is just mimic and read, which you know is the same for anybody. If if you're giving something that you've heard before, it's hard for you to sort of like give your own take on it. They literally have the same actor come and do the role again, and his performance the second time round was just so wooden. I'm like. How do you take James Earl Jones? Like, I, I don't agree with the argument of, oh, he's older now. It's just like, mm. no, he's incredibly dynamic. If you listen to like, some of the scenes he does where he's like, trying to be funny, he's incredibly flexible as a, um, and adaptable as an actor. I don't agree with this idea of just because he's old, he has to be boring. Yeah. And it's also the element of tech, you know, technical aspects. And he brings this up and it, it links into what Kelly was saying about Jungle Book. I think they balance it quite well there. But to me, Lion King just seems purely like a tech demo for Disney. So kind of how Elliot said in our last last uh, two episodes ago about Netflix, about how the Irishman was kind of like how they could prove themselves in terms of de-aging technology. To me, the Lion King is just John Favreau's digital showcase as to how they can do a virtual film and have VR and like film something completely digitally. It just... And that's why it's just very lazy and, and inspirational because they're like, we're just going to do shot for shot because we don't want, we don't actually care about adapting this. We just want to retell it because it's the easiest way for t- us to showcase this technology. And then you just lose all reason for doing it kind of thing. One of right, my favorite thing about Disney is villain songs. Disney villain songs are my favorite thing that Disney do. Be prepared is the worst <laughs> I don't know what they did, what they were trying to do, but it didn't work. I feel we knew this was coming up. I think me and Craig like kept silent on it because we were like, we know it's coming. <laughs> I think possibly, maybe part of it was trying to remove the Nazi imagery. But if you're if you're gonna do it, do it properly. Mm. Like, don't do the whole King Undisputed, Respected, Saluted. Mm. But like, talk it. Yeah. No, I want to see Scar like lose his absolute shit over the f- and the hyenas. <laughs> I'm sorry, like <laughs> where was the personality in any of them? I kind of just lost them all entirely. Yeah. Instead, but- they just decide, decide to turn one of them into the queen of the hyenas, and yeah, it's like I liked the dynamic of the other of the hyenas but yeah you're absolutely right i mean but also if they were like it's stupid to try and remove like the nazi symbolism because a lot of films use that symbolism for a point right they yeah. try to show what these regimes are doing you know like allowing the hyenas to basically come onto the pride lands and eat everything yeah probably a bad idea guys yeah, Scar's literally gonna try and be a dictator so With they the emphasis that. on dick um <laughs> exactly but that song has so much power in the initial, like in the original film, because it sets up Scar's intentions and then it sets you up for him leading Simba into the ravine. He's, it leads you to Mufasa's death. And then you know from then on, oh, Scar's the, Scar's the bad guy. Mm. But to give us a song that has no no feeling behind it. Like, I don't feel like Scar's angry enough throughout Be Prepared. I don't feel like he's 
just doing something irrational and going, I'm going to kill my brother now. Like, it feels very much like, oh, I have to sing this song. It's the fact that at the end, he's just like, be prepared. Be prepared, like, four times. Yeah. And I it's, can't listen to it. It's, again, the casting, like, you know, as great an actor as Chitiol Effiger is, it's like, it just seems like he's just a sort of like, oh, he plays, like, this villainous character and a lot of things, let's just chuck him in. It's like, was there actually, like, a reason for, like, how he's good as Scar, though? And it, it shows as well how you lose so much from the ultra-realism of it is that... Uh, again the video talks about this as well in talking about believability you know you don't believe that a lion can talk and a you know a bird can talk and so when you're seeing that through an ultra realistic lens it makes you so like takes you out of it even more because you're like i know that's not real whereas the person in this video makes a sort of comparison to something like thanos or you know characters like that in which you have no basis to compare it to in in real life and yeah, I think that the problem with the live-action Lion King is that they've limited themselves then to we can't have epic green smoke coming out of the ground because that wouldn't happen in real life. So you lose all the the drama of that that song from that as well. And like I said, yeah, they don't have to have the Nazi imagery, but but why can't you have green smoke? <laughs> How do you create a film with a series of feline main characters that could be the worst film of 2019 with a with a load of feline characters in the same year that Cats was released. So, Ed, have we changed your mind about whether or not you're going to watch this film? No. <laughs> I, I, I'm shocked to report no. Yeah. But yeah, I was, I was intrigued then because, like I said, Ed brought up 101 Dalmatians. So, at the beginning, so on the sort of positive side, what do you think is the difference with that adaptation which makes that work compared to what we've mentioned with Lion King and Beauty and the Beast, etc. Because to me, when I think back of it, I I don't really see it as like, oh, that's the exact same story. It kind of plays out quite differently, doesn't it? Yeah, like they, 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 do, they do basically do their own spin on it. So one thing, we've been talking about like fantastical recreations. They don't try and do that with 101 Dalmatians. They just don't, they don't have the dogs talk. Right? They still have the same sort of emotional subplot. They still, you know, they, they train the dogs well to look like they're really sad when the puppies have gone and uh, you can believe that they would go and try and find them and you know they still manage to get the twilight part to work even though they, they, they can't explain what it is it just feels like fairly supernatural and maybe we've got the kiddie explanation of well of course all the animals can talk to each other like, that's just what happens in life yeah uh, in, in, in film land if, if not in life at least um so I think possibly just that. And then also you just got good actors. So you've got, as I said, as, as I alluded to, like Glenn Close, probably the definitive version, I think, of Cruella de Vil. I don't want to spend time, I know that's not a thing, where we don't have that, you know, but where we don't have her, her as Cruella. And then just a, a better fleshing out of the, of the human characters, because that, that was the thing I, I, I realised watching the animated film later, was that... The, the, the humans are basically nothing in the original film, right? Like, it's, it's narrated by Pongo. Uh, Pongo's pet is, is, is the human, and they're basically just uh, side characters who, you know, exist to give them food and to give a reason why the dogs exist, really. Is that because they've been bought and, and are owned by, by, by the humans? Like, yeah. the police don't really do anything. 
the humans can't really do anything in terms of finding what's happened to the, the animals. You know, Roger sort of sort of understands that Cruella might have kidnapped the puppies, but apart from that, there's not real much else to it. Whereas in the in, in the in the remake, it, it's much better. Like it's more fleshed out. You, you know, Anita's actually you know you, you kind of understand as well why Cruella wants to create this coat because she's a fashion designer and that's her thing. And also she's slightly psychotic as well. Uh, she gets the idea from Anita sort mm. of giving her, uh, unintentionally giving her the idea and showing her the picture of her dogs. So it, it makes more sense than just, oh, they knew each other at school and for some reason have kept up and kept in touch, despite yeah. the fact they're really, really dissimilar. Like mm. from the original animated film, I, it doesn't make much sense to me why Anita and Cruella still know each other. Mm. Whereas in the, in the remake, well, one of them works for the other one and really, really hates her boss, but that happens sometimes. It's the devil's way of Prada of uh, the Disney world. <laughs> yeah. Devil's wears your pets. <laughs> I think what's important to note as well with 101 Dalmatians is also just the time in which it came out. I think the big problem with all of the remakes that have come out recently is they basically come out because they've come out in the same generation. It's easy. It's easy to pick up on where they are basically just trying to be cash grabby where, Mm. because 101 Dalmatians was so far back and it was basically one of like the original like remakes, but because nothing happened so far after that, it's first of all, just going in, it's easier to view this film with a sort of, there's an element of care and love that's going into this. And Ed is absolutely right. One of the things I loved about that film is the fact that the dogs are just dogs. Um, like the fact that they go through the effort of training the act, the Dalmatians to do all of the actions that they need just makes it a lot more engage, uh, a lot more engageable. And just seeing all of the animals actually just being animals is quite easy to engage with and separate from the original 101 Dalmatians because they, they, like I think Ed said, I think Ed said it to me last night. Where basically, the only thing you'd majorly lose is just the dynamic between the puppies, um, you know, actually having their own personalities. But even then, there are ways in which visually that comes about. So it's easier for it to actually have its own identity. Um, and the fact that they make Cruella like psychotic in in ways which are like vastly different from the original, because in the original they focus on like the car breaking down and she has that like psychotic moment of just driving across the snow. <laughs> while here they basically have her doing things like kidnapping tigers from zoos and having it skinned, uh, which is really dark when I put it like that. But yeah, and it's also got that '90s charm to it as well, hasn't it? Where it's like it's the kind of like you know the trailers have got like who let the dogs out in it and that kind of vibe you know kind of like the days of like flubber and and those kind of charming live action disney films which which they've like lost now by becoming so blockbustery that they have to be like you said cash grabby it's a similar reason uh, to why i enjoyed dumbo so has anyone else seen the, the dumbo adaptation from last year um like i said some of it you know it's no surprise if if uh, you've heard my thoughts on tim burton before and i think we had this conversation kelly with me you stefanos and reese it was like you know, because I liked Tim Burton a bit more than, you know, I was a bit more of a sucker for the Dumbo adaptation. But but going in, I was very sceptical. I was like, why? That seems like such a weird property for Dumbo, for Tim Burton, sorry, to take on because Dumbo is such a sort of cute and, you know, animal friendly sort of like story and character. 
But it does make sense for the live action treatment because like we said with Atlantis and Treasure Planet is that they're sort of more underrated or lesser known Disney films. So it makes sense to make a story out of that. So with Dumbo, it's like literally only like an hour long animated film originally. So to give that a new story, it's similar to what Ed was saying about 101 Dalmatians. You don't want to have like talking elephants and talking mice, etc. So they make, the story about a family who, you know, is looking after Dumbo. And then, you know, what I love most about it is that it literally becomes like a completely different film because, you know, you have the beginning, which he's learning to fly and you get the sort of the fire scene in the circus with the clowns, etc. But this film really does try to make such a creative effort to be different because similar again to Mulan with the sort of Me Too movement, etc. They're like, animals in captivity and circuses are bad. And, you know, rather than doing a great showman and being like, we're just going to ignore the history of uh, P.T. Barnum, one of the most despicable people that ever lived, you know, they're going to be like, we're going to actually make this a point of the story. And, um, you know, Danny DeVito has talked about this in an interview, so I won't spoil it too much. But, you know, the film ends in such a sweet, nice way that literally they are just like, you know, it, it becomes about not having animals in captivity and they make that message and who better to have that message than Danny DeVito literally guiding you through this new circus that they saw created and the opposite to that during the film is pure Burton and this is why I find it the most anti-Disney Disney film I've ever seen and why I find it bizarre that Disney were like yeah do that because it's like they're making fun of themselves and I love Tim Burton for it so they literally have a character introduced in this film, which is played by Michael Keaton, and he wants to buy Dumbo and parade him around in his theme park called Dreamland, which is a massive, expansive theme park with massive castles, huge lands called Nightmare Island and huge roller coasters. And, and guess what, guys? The day the Dumbo's unveiled, they start selling Dumbo plushies at the front and everyone's got their Dumbo plushie and... It literally looks like the Dumbo plushies they sell in the Disney store. And it goes horribly wrong. And the guy is too greedy because he tried to take advantage of Dumbo. And his entire funfair burns to the ground. <laughs> and I'm like, this is insane. It's literally like Tim Burton is like talking about the greed and commercialism of Disney. And just saying, up yours, <laughs> kind of. It's, it, it baffles me. But it's got some really nice messages in it. Dumbo is really, really cute. They play up the music a lot. They have a Pink Elephants sort of tribute. And also, you know, like I said, there's there's fun nods to the film and they expand on things, but they do it in the right way. So, for example, uh, they sort of explain why Dumbo is called Dumbo rather than what his actual name is, which is like Jumbo Jr. So they sort of say why they start calling him Dumbo and why everyone refers to him as that. Um, you know, and it makes sense for the story because it's now an hour and a 50 minute film rather than like an hour long film. So, yeah, I just like really appreciated that. And I really appreciate like the cast and and the way that they handle this. You know, there's a scene in it as well where like somebody comes along like, yay, Dumbo can fly and let's get the champagne out. And Danny Vito's like, no champagne for the baby, no alcohol for the baby. So just being like a great reference to the original film in which Dumbo turns drunk, you know, <laughs> literally like, no, that is not acceptable to get a child drunk. So that's why that's what my favorite one, because they literally take it, take a different take on it. 
um, but still with the, the appropriate nods to the originals. Uh, you had me until you mentioned pink elephants. For some reason, pink elephants, I have such like a really vivid memory of it in my head. Oh, yeah. And it's terrifying. No, and I see, don't know why. It's, it's nowhere near as... Exp- it's literally just like they... Re- it's like a reference more than Oh, okay, trivia. that's yeah. all right then. They do it that's as more... Fine. They do it. You might like it because it's actually played like a uh, synchronized display. So there's a bit of a... They don't do it... They don't do it in water, but they are doing it sort of like... We love you know, a synchronized swimming reference. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, so it's more, yeah, it's not as creepy as the the, the, the original animated. The it's little, not, like, it's the not all the bubbles. Ooh. Yeah, it's not all the bubbles coming to life. Don't no, thank it's God. more like Danny Elfman's score is used to be a bit more dream dreamlike rather than being like pink elephants. <laughs> like oh God. So yeah, um, I enjoyed it, and I, I like I said, I, I I recommend people check it out because it is like a, a good adaptation, and it's currently on Disney Plus. For the movie vault this week, I think there are two clear entries. I think, as we've discussed before, films that trigger our conversations and have a big legacy, such as Mulan, definitely deserve to go in there. And definitely, you know, from from the get-go, we could have sort of announced that as we did with uh, Sunset Boulevard in our noir episode. So I think everybody would be agreed with that. But I think from our discussion, personally, I felt that there was a standout uh, in terms of the live action ones, but but what are your guys' thoughts? If you're about to say Dumbo to like stroke yourself, <laughs> you go. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna say that like yeah, everyone agreed on that film that nobody else watched that they that that film should go in. No, I felt the 101 Dalmatians because, like I said, I think Ed put it perfectly in that it is a different film. It's got some you know care and attention to the original and like i said i'll admit like craig said that dumbo does have a lot of disney wokeness to it which i think they pull off a bit more because it's a good director but it's still there whereas like i said you know 101 dalmatians doesn't have that and like i said we wouldn't want to let lose glenn close as as Quella. that laugh is just infectious <laughs> any film that can get me through writing my uni essays the day before they do after the Britain's Got Talent finals deserves to go in the movie vault. <laughs> and you just have the, the fun of, yeah, just actual animals, you know, rather than just weird CGI animals. Yep, I agree. Yeah, fully, yeah. fully agree. Okay, going into the movie vault this week then is Mulan and 101 Dalmatians. be clear it is the 1998 mulan as we have not yet seen <laughs> the 2020 mulan but who knows it might blow us all away we we shall see keep an eye on our socials guys we shall hopefully have something which can maybe summarize all our opinions on on mulan maybe check it out with a group of friends or family as as kelly has recommended with certain disney films because they'll bring that cost down a bit more for what, what they're expecting people to pay so split split it amongst the family Yeah, just, okay. just, just, just give me flashbacks. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> the flashbacks for Ed. It's fine. Yeah. That has nothing to do with the actual Endgame. Cool. <laughs> okay, Endgame time. So one of the things that the remakes often try to do is basically uh, self-censor themselves in terms of uh, taking out a lot of things. And what ends up happening with these films on 
international distribution is they'll face additional censorships, um, you know, uh, to basically mean that the foreign markets can be, uh, you know, met better. What I also find is that a lot of censorship can be funny. So I thought we'd have a crack at that in today's game. So welcome to the Disney bleep test. Yeah. Basically, what's ha- what has happened is I've taken various uh, various clips from various Disney films, and over certain words, uh, they have been bleeped to uh, imply something different. <laughs> so, what I want you to do is, I basically want you to listen to the clip, and I want you to tell me the words that have been bleeped. So, the way you'll do this is you'll send it to me in a private message. What I think is important to note is that some clips will have multiple words. Sometimes it might be that same word has been bleeped a few times. Sometimes the bleeped words will be different words. I will make it clear uh, what, you're, what you need to send me. Okay, so um, if it's like a clip that has the same word bleeped three times, I'll say there's only one word in this clip. Okay? Okay. Okay, are we ready? So in this first clip, we go... We go to Pixar with uh, Ratatouille. So there's a, technically only one word in this, but it's it's basically a word and then like the the word ing equivalent of that word. If okay. that makes sense. If that makes sense to people. So, so it's a word and then it's conjugated in some way. Yes. So, so that is a that is a smarter way of putting it, Ed. <laughs> I, I wish I I wish I thought of it. Okay, here we go. Amusing title. Anyone can f- What's even more amusing is that Gusto actually seems to believe it. I, on the other hand, take f***ing seriously. And no, I don't think anyone can do it. I love Ratatouille. Why must you do this? <laughs> strong, strong opinions oh. from Anton Ego there. Oh, Stella. Okay, so both of you have replied that you believe the words are cook and cooking. I hope so. <laughs> Please. Okay. I wasn't expecting that to be so funny. <laughs> oh, wait, they get better. Oh, I can't wait. This is going to be great. <laughs> okay, so is it cook cooking? Yes, it is. Hey. Here's the original. Chef Gusto's cookbook, Anyone Can Cook, climbed to the top of the bestseller list. But not everyone celebrates its success. Amusing title. Anyone can cook. What's even more amusing is that Gusto actually seems to believe it. I, on the other hand, take cooking seriously. And no, I don't think anyone can do it. Yep, so they're both correct. And because it's technic- because it's one word but two different forms, you both get two points. Mm-hmm. Yay. Excellent. Okay, so now we go over to uh, a film that Ed is very fond of, Aladdin. Uh, this will be this will be one word that you're looking for. So good luck. You will order the princess to f- me. But you're so old. The princess will f- me. It's not that much better than the original, but okay. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's this or another word. No, I hope okay. not. So it's okay. So we have uh, our first divergent. Oh. Uh, Kelly thinks it's obey. Ed thinks it's marry. Yeah, that was the other word that I had in my head. Kelly. Yeah. Ed. So, here's the original. You will order the princess to marry me. I will order 
the princess. Oh, but you're so old. The princess will marry me. So Ed is completely right, both in his answer and that it's not that much better in the original. <laughs> so that's one point to Ed. Excellent. Okay, now we come over to something a bit more, a bit more current. So we have Moana. Uh, so this is a story being told by the grandmother to a group of small children, uh, where I think things get a little bit explicit. You, uh, there are two words you're looking for. Someone who would journey beyond our reef, f Maui, to restore Tefiti's heart and f us all. Oh, oh, oh! Thank you, mother. That's enough. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> That plays out appropriately. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just not sure what the first one would be at all, so I, I just put a word in. Okay. I can't even remember really what the sentence was. So, oh well, just make you know, there. You go. Why not? Okay. So, for the second word, you've both gone for save, which is correct. The first word, I am wrong. So there we go. <laughs> well, you say that. It's just a case of the first word for both of you is different. So mm. Ed has gone for travel. So you think the, the sentence is travel Maui. While Kelly... <laughs> oh, that was the for... sentence. Okay. Yeah. So Kelly has gone for find. That makes more sense. Kelly is correct. Yes. So here is the full actual story. Well, not the full story. But, but one day the heart will be found by someone who will journey beyond our reef Find Maui, deliver him across the great ocean to restore Tefiti's heart and save us all. Oh, 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 thank you, mother. That's enough. Just hearing him interrupt her just doesn't make sense now. It's like it's like it made so much sense before now. <laughs> yeah, for those who are who are unaware like me, uh, the guy interrupting at the end is uh, Django Fett, actor Timur Morrison. Excellent. The so... guy who does the singing for Moana's father. Washington. Is Christopher Jackson who plays Washington in Hamilton. Yep. So at this point of the game, you're both even with four points each. Ooh. Now we come on to Beauty and the Beast. This is one of my favourite clips. So you are looking for two words. So pay close attention. Gaston, you are positively primeval. <laughs> you, Belle. What do you say you and me take a walk over to the tavern and take a look at my... Maybe some other time. Good response. <laughs> Maybe some other time, e.g. I will. I will say that the editor of these clips uh, did like alter it, so it's not necessarily going to be because we all know what that last word is meant to be in terms of like the swear word, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the original word starts with a D. So we, sometimes you would alter it like that to make it a bit like that. This is where I'd like to give a shout out to the actual editor of all these clips, which is the YouTube channel Ninja Panda who basically has gone through a wide variety of films, not just Disney, uh, to do this. So if you have some childhood memories you want destroyed, go visit Ninja Panda. Okay. I'm so stuck. Okay. So both of you believe the first word is thank. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Yeah. I'm going to hate myself for getting this wrong. Uh, so, uh, so Kelly has gone for collection, which is... But you said that yours doesn't fit, and I think Ed's is probably a worse offender than that, because he's got eggs. 
<laughs> I just remember I just remember the five eggs challenge in Taskmaster so much. I, I just <laughs> Uh, David is the closest. Uh, where David, would you like to tell them what you said? Uh, hunting slash trophy collection. Is it one? Um, the correct answer is uh, take a look at my trophies. Oh, of course it is. Unfortunately, I don't have uh, a reveal clip for that one, so go and check out the original film. Okay, now we come on to number five, and this is, uh, this is Mulan. So this is a clip which is paying tribute to um, the LGBT community and their fandom around uh, Shang, uh, and specifically the uh, the sort of you know connections that they believe to have. Are you ready? No. Never. <laughs> Here we go. You said you ping. Why is Mulan any different? How bad to take a second. Till now, I didn't fully understand the Lee Shang sort of like co- commentary. Now I do. <laughs> I don't know whether or not Ed's screen is just frozen or if he just genuinely hates me. Like, <laughs> just not moving. <laughs> All of the Disney knowledge has left my brain. I don't think that's right, but we're going with it. Welcome to me cool. playing Endgame. I don't think this is right, but we'll go with it. <laughs> okay, so Welcome Kelly. To quizzes. Kelly has gone for fight with. Ed has gone for trust. Oh. I'm going to let the clip reveal the answer. You said you trust Ping. Why is Mulan any different? The so minute Ed, you said Ed that. Point. The minute, the minute I heard trust, I was like, oh shit, that's the right one. Yeah, because it comes at the point where uh, Mulan's trying to sort of let everyone know that the Huns are still alive. Mm-hmm. And everyone's yeah. just ignoring her because she's a woman. So. Woo. Yeah. literally just goes up to people like excuse me and they're like eh, and just walk away i'm like you don't even know the context of her like lying what the hell <laughs> like oh a woman approaches me on the street how dreadful for ancient <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay now on to clip number six so we're going to a very different uh kind of uh, disney princess now but still very much independent if you ask the right people which is uh pocahontas oh so there is one word in this but it is uh, bleeped a couple of times are we ready? Again, no. Okay, here we go. What am I doing? I shouldn't be f***ing him again. I mean, I want to f*** him again. Who wouldn't? I want to f*** him again. <laughs> oh, Grandmother Willow, why? Why? <laughs> Yet again, there's um, a conjunction of a word, but it's basically still the same word. We're going to go with that, but I don't know. Okay. Okay, so <laughs> That's Kelly... my motto for this game. Mm-hmm. Right, so Kelly has gone for follow. Ed and David have gone for C. Ed and David are... Yeah. Uh, the other one I... was meat, but... Yeah, yeah that's basically mine too, yeah. What am I doing? I shouldn't be seeing him again. But I... Should I see him again? Well, I would. I want to see him again. Uh, sadly, no reveal clip for that one, but... Um, okay. So, next up, we go back to Aladdin. Um, okay. I heard this, and I couldn't resist. Of course you couldn't. I can't take it anymore! If I gotta choke down on one more of those moldy, disgusting Soon I will be sultan of that little piece of twitch. And then I stop that... Down 
You're going to hell, Craig. You're going to hell. Hellfire. It's one word, by the way. One word. Yeah. You know what this all gives us uh, flashbacks of? Gilbert Gottfried reading Fifty Shades of Grey, which everyone, if they haven't witnessed, should absolutely go check out after this. Okay, so David has sent me an answer. Ed has sent me an answer. I'm lost. Like, I don't even think I want to even make a guess. Okay, if you want to pass, no, you can... I'm going to pass it. I had a clue, but I was like, that's too obvious. <laughs> no, I'm going to pass it, because I have no clue. Okay, well, I'll allow David to give the clue, but if you get it, I'm only giving you half. Polly. <laughs> a cracker. Yeah. Ed, is it a cracker? Oh, uh, yeah, I believe so. Oh, madness. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a cracker. A moldy old cracker. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't seen Aladdin in a long time. Yeah. Okay, so now we come to the final clip, and I'm sure oh, everyone here is uh, happy to hear this. This is the one we go over to uh, Big Hero 6, and okay. it's Baymax. Baymax. Are we ready? No. I cannot deactivate until you say you are satisfied with your Well then, I'm satisfied with my I've, I've never been so confident with an answer. <laughs> I, 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 Especially I in this game. As I'm not convinced, I've seen this scene before. So yeah. Oh, I love That's... this film. Have you seen what? Big Hero 6? I, I, I'm not convinced I have, no. Oh, okay. I have the tissues nearby. No. So sad. Uh, so sad. Yeah, yep, set in the beautiful area of San Franco, uh, San Frantokio. I don't know. That's a word that could be conceivably fit into the sentence. Okay, so uh, Kelly has gone for care. Ed has gone for results. Ed, you are <coughs> Kelly. Mm-hmm. I am Here satisfied is... with my care. Here is how it actually sounds. I cannot deactivate until you say you are satisfied with your care. Well, then I'm satisfied with my care. And like that, I am satisfied with the results of this endgame. So, uh, basically, it came down to a close call in the end, but with eight points to six and a half, Ed is the winner. You win this. (laughs) Fanfare. Respect. And uh, what, but what both of you have, which will never be taken away, are the memories. So, yeah, thank you, guys. And thank you, Craig, for the madness, as usual. We have definitely made this uh, family-friendly podcast now not so. It's <laughs> now 12 yeah. Exactly, yeah. It all comes together. So thank you for both joining us. Uh, where can we catch you both, Ed? Um, I did check on iPlayer. You can't watch your episode of Mastermind, unfortunately, anymore. You can find them on YouTube. Oh. There's someone who uploads episodes of, of Mastermind on, on YouTube. So for now, at least, you can find them, on, you can find them there. Check it out there, because it's a great example, like Ed said, of, of Kelly was saying, I'm, I'm not sure, but I'm just going to throw it out there anyway, because that, that just sprung to mind when, well, was one of the answers was like, uh, which art museum or, or, or which artist and you were like Michael Michelangelo yeah, no that happened twice so in, in the heaps there was a question about art which artist and I didn't know so I went for Monet and yeah. then there was a question in the semi-final which artist and I didn't know so I went for Monet <laughs> it, it, it was not Monet either time um, it's it's worth the try you never know That's and, <laughs> and if you pass then that counts against you in the tie break so you shouldn't ever pass if you're a mastermind 
even if you give the most stupidest answers possible. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Kelly, where can we catch yourself? Um, I'm on Kelly Lou Bishop across all of the socials, because why not? Um, I'm also uploading fairly regularly on my blog as well. I'm doing a series called Details, where I'm looking at the little tiny details in films that you might have missed. So, so far I've done Toy Story, I've done Death of Stalin, I'm working on Wally because it's delightful. Yeah. Um, so check me out there. Um, and also thank you to uh, Shay Davenport earlier who gave us our fantastic opener. It wasn't me, guys, as surprising as that is. Really? What? <laughs> I know. <laughs> as much as I made out as if it was beforehand. <laughs> And uh, you can catch us at Well Good Movies on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as on freshtakehub.com slash wellgoodmovies. And uh, yeah, you can catch all our previous episodes, including some Disney ones, some musicals, which have also had uh, Kelly join us. And we've also talked about The Lion King, etc. in the past as well. So go check us look those out. Tell us in the comments what are you looking forward to with the Mulan film which aspects are you happy they're keeping in or out and uh, yeah also let us know what are your favourite live action remakes and uh, yeah keep keep the language uh, censored with those boops <laughs> uh, in the comments so thank you guys and uh, yeah thank you for joining us and we look forward to the next one see you around bye bye, bye. I'm so stuck. Okay.